Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockton Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. Hey, welcome back to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. My name is Chris Panaski. And uh, before we jump forward into this week's episode, I will just kind of share with you what's happening in my life. So I am officially done with work until 2023. I'm taking some parental leave. It's one of the beautiful benefits of being in Canada. I'm taking uh, 13 weeks plus Christmas holidays, so 15 weeks of parental. And uh, yeah, I'm trying to make the most of this time with Jasmine, uh, my daughter. I've already started. So yesterday we rode up to the Champlain Lookout, which is in the Gatineau Park. It's about a 30... Uh, four 35 kilometer trip ra- uh, round trip lots of climbing i think in that 35 kilometers there's over 500 meters of climbing so it's a great workout especially pulling that chariot and a uh, you know eight and a half kilo baby and this morning i went for a jog with her and the dog so it's been a, it's been really great to just get out there and do stuff you know and make the most of that time something I didn't really do earlier in the year as much um, didn't really figure out how to manage my time as well working out and spending time with the baby so I was home a lot but I, I didn't get as much outdoor activities as I would have liked to so trying to make up for that now I actually went and I've gotten I've uh, went and I've gotten I've recently purchased a three-month training plan uh, that's personally made to me and you know my situation of having a newborn baby and uh, limited hours of working out and stuff so I could try to use that as a way to focus myself and keep engaged in what I need to get done so I can be you know more prepared for next year so I can actually do some events and feel like I'm competitive and at the level I'd like to be performing at. So, so far, I'm super happy. I'm just kind of rolling into the plan now. I've just started with some some easier work stuff. And then starting this weekend, it'll be, you know, hour and a half sessions and whatnot. So really looking forward to that and just having to manage my time and, you know, get up earlier or work out after, uh, do some rides and stuff after my wife has done work for the day and she can watch the baby and just kind of you know, work through that communication with her and stuff and, and make sure we're we're on each other's the same page, you know? Yeah, so that's been me. And uh, I guess that's about it. So let's uh, let's jump into this intro. Welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. I'm your host, Chris Banaski. 
This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you will be able to learn the ins and outs of bike touring and bike packing. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys, and through both mine and my guest experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike touring or bike packing and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. If you're already an experienced bike tourer or bike packer, I hope that my guest stories allow you to relive some of your own experiences and give you a good laugh or two along the way. In the meantime, enjoy the show and keep on pedaling. In this episode of the Bike Tour Adventures podcast, I have the chance to catch up with Corey Ostertag. As a lifelong cyclist, Corey has run the gamut. From mountain biking to katsu road bike racing, it was inevitable that Corey would at some point get involved in bike pack racing. Although fairly new to the sport, Corey has done exceptionally well over the past two seasons, finishing second in the 2021 iteration of the BC Epic and taking the overall wins in 2022, riding the Buckshot and BC Epic and setting an impressive new FKT on the Log Driver's Waltz. I'm thrilled to learn more about him and hear his story. Corey, welcome to the Bike to Adventures podcast. Thank you kindly, Chris. I'm yeah. like super, super stoked to have a chance to meet you and have a chat. Yeah, it's really great. Um, so yeah, let's talk about you. Um, tell us about yourself. Sure. Well, I, I live in Squamish, um, British Columbia. Um, I've lived on the West Coast and in, in BC for about a, a dozen or so years now, but I'm originally from Ontario. I grew up in Aurelia, Ontario which is like 150 kilometers north of Toronto. Okay, um, so kind of just past Barrie, is that kind of thing? Or? Yeah, it's really close to Barrie. That's like yeah. the, the closest kind of major suburban slash urban hub mm-hmm. where we would, you know, go go shopping when I was a kid. And partying, probably. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. Not, not so much <laughs> of that. No. I was still pretty young. Um, but yeah, Barrie would, would have been a close the closest major town that people would recognize. Aurelia's gained a lot of um or has become more like well known mm-hmm. recently um a because there's a very big casino there called casino rama okay um, oh, that's there. but okay, in the yeah. cycling community a lot of people know it because that's where hardwood hills is and they host national cross-country mm-hmm. championships and a bunch of other um cycling events so um most people in like the bike racing community know really up um because of that so did you guys move out west as a family or was it kind of a, one of those things you just kind of did on your own? No, I um, I grew up in Aurelia. My, my folks still live there. Okay. Um, I was there until I graduated high school and then I moved to Ottawa hey, um, right. and did my undergrad at University of Ottawa. Um, that's where I met uh, my now wife. And as soon as we finished our undergrads, we moved out to British Columbia oh. um, and we've been we've been here ever since and we've kind of established our life here. Um and now we also have a we have a toddler um julian's three and a half so we're raising him here in squamish nice yeah we have a, our daughter just turned nine months old today so it's a it's definitely a game changer trying to figure out the whole biking it's, and training thing so i definitely want to talk to and hear more about that from you because mm-hmm. uh i felt personally i i really took a dive in quality of bike time and stuff and just didn't really learn to manage my time and um, but yeah, we'll, we'll jump into that at some point in this conversation. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely have a lot of thoughts on that. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, has all, has biking always been something you've been big in your whole life or is it kind of one of those things you did as a kid and then wandered away from, and then kind of 
eventually found yeah again. it sort of ebbed and flowed um depending on kind of like you know probably what someone like depending on what the cycling trends were at the time and like what other things mm-hmm. were piquing my interest but i've always been the type of person that's sort of like once i got into something i like went like full bore into it yeah um so i'd like purchase all the magazines know all the athletes and like watch the videos um and get like really obsessed with things um so i I did that for mountain biking when i was when i was really young like Mm. you know just graduating elementary school i was like really like buying all the mountain bike action magazines and i was really into that um and you know really thought of identified as a mountain biker yeah even though i was like had very poor equipment my parents had no clue what mountain biking was so there was no kind of form of support there to go like no, that's like you know train or or race <clears throat> um so i that was that was me as a, a young kid then i got really into snowboarding did that for a while and then when i went to university um my my roommate at the time was really into road cycling and also into like fixed gear cycling oh yeah and that culture um so i kind of dove into that and started road biking again um yeah and then that sort of like spun into road racing which like you know turned into mountain bike racing and that turned into bike pack racing so you gotta tell me because I, I, i'm assuming i'm not the only one that's kind of in the blind here but what is like cat two cycling what does that mean like um i think probably lots of bike tours would be like oh cat two don't know what that means yeah it's i mean it's you know the the it's still amateur cycling, um, but it's like the, you know, the fastest amateur cycling. Okay. It's like, you know, the, you, uh, you're among the, the faster of the beer league cyclists. Like, okay. You know, everyone that I raced with were, were holding down nine to five jobs. Um, and on occasion, we'd have opportunities to um, sort of like guest ride or enter contests okay. that were... Um, also being entered by pros so i have had you know like the odd opportunity to race against um people are national champions or on on pro teams and that sort of thing but those were few and far between mostly we're just kind of you know touring around going to like grassroots bike races um but definitely like some of the folks that i have ridden with or raced with um are like extremely talented people who like you know if they had the right conditions Mm -hmm. um would have gone on to be professionals um or like made some sort of like obscure career out of cycling okay um, but for the most part everyone's just doing it for for fun okay yeah because I, yeah. I keep hearing about the categories and i'm like oh, i don't really know what that means like how tough yeah, is the that categ- categorization system is um just a way of segmenting riders especially when there's a lot of them and because there is like a high degree of risk when people are riding for together sure. in a peloton yeah. Um, you know, tires inches apart from each other. Having categories just make sure that you don't put someone who's like super strong, but maybe like lacking skill okay. next to someone who does have the skill and can navigate um, a really like tight, tight peloton. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, I remember doing triathlon and like that wasn't so much, but like the century rides and stuff, you get like 5,000 cyclists. And they were just mm-hmm. accents the whole way. You know, you're constantly dodging. And a couple of times I ended up in almost in a ditch and just kind of skidding and like crazy ass shit. And, but it's 5,000 <laughs> amateurs who are not even categorized, you know? <laughs> Certainly. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's one of the reasons why like racers kind of frown upon the, like Grand Fondos because there is that like lack of um, governance and safety oversight. And maybe etiquette sometimes. in some ways too. People don't yeah, know totally. the rules and, you know, the things that, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so have you done any like traditional bike touring? I think, I think I heard somewhere that you, you did some with your family as like, but more like bikepacking or something, right? Yeah, I, I haven't. And it's, no? you know, it's, it's something that I like, I really, am. I love the idea of bike touring. Um, and regrettably, I never had the opportunity to, to do it. We've done some bike packing, and my wife and I like spent some time bike packing around cool. Asia and we, you know, we've traveled in Europe and done different stuff. Um, but I've never, um, had the opportunity to, to bike tour. Um, and it's something that I really, really want to do, but now like time, I don't have a lot of time on my hands. To yeah, I got a three and a half year old. So school's starting in the next little bit too. Yeah, uh, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so like hindsight 2020, I would have probably done that. Um, cause I, I like really believe deep down that like traveling by bike is like probably the, the best way to, to see the world. For sure. Um, so and I wish I would have, um, done that. Um, but now I'm kind of like speed touring. So, yeah. um, and that's part of the reason why I have been doing bike pack races because it's really just like bike touring on overdrive, yeah, bike touring on crack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, you're still young, so you still have time. Maybe you can do like a year, a year a gap year or unpaid leave year, but it's yeah, tough when well, you got a mortgage I'm and all hoping, those things, you know, I'm hoping once Julian's a little bit bigger and a little bit more independent. Um, yeah, my, my dream is to get like, get a tandem, um, with like nice. a kid, kid size in the back, adult size in the front and take him bike touring. Yeah. Um, you could, they also, really um, like what's the company Hase or Hase or something. Uh, they make a tandem that has a recumbent in the front and it's got, you can buy attachments to like bring the crank up to the kid's legs area and like, you know, and they can just kind of chill when they're tired and uh, oh, they're not brilliant. cheap, but they're like 5,000 euros, but like, yeah, sure. But it'd be cool, you know, cause then you got your eye on your kid the time, the whole time too. So it's, it's perfect. Yeah. Um, so we did do one bikepacking trip with Julian when he was like about one year, one years old, we, we rode the Kettle Valley railway up to shoot Lake, which is the most approachable section of the Kettle Valley railway. Yeah. Um, so we did that with, with him, um, in, in, a you know, a child seat on the bike. Um, and that was super fun. And my wife and I keep on talking about, you know, other solutions to, mm-hmm. to be able to get him out and ride with them. But BC is hard because a lot of the terrain is just like, it's so rough. So yeah. even if, even if we did have the equipment, whether it was a trailer or a trailer bike, a lot of the routes are, are really quite rugged. Mm-hmm. Um, and like bike terrain is one thing, but then when you start talking about getting off to track, hike a bikes mm-hmm. or something on rough terrain, um, it, you know, that's, that might not go so well with a, with a small kid. Yeah. So um, maybe that kid's ride shotgun uh, seat thing that you see all the time. Yeah. And I have a, I have a Mac ride, so okay. I, I use that for riding around town and, you know, bike him to daycare this morning. That works um, well. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, we're still at the chariot point, but maybe for for another little while, and then uh, then move on from there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, cool. So, I want to ask you what what's your distinguishing between bike touring and bike packing? Like, because I know it's it's always this, you know, people are like, well, what what makes that bike packing, and you know, or what make what constitutes touring? So, how do you kind of, in your own mind, distinguish between the two? I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't really see a difference. Um... I think it's, you know, it's, it's semantics really. It's mm. like, it's traveling by bike, like regardless of like what you call it or what type of equipment you're using to carry your gear in. 
Um, and, you know, you, we're seeing like both sides of the spectrum kind of like evolving into each other where like bikepackers are starting to use racks again. Um, yeah. Like using the, the like little bags. Or, yeah. Yeah. Um, so no, I don't, I don't really like, I don't really recognize a difference. Although I would say that bikepacking to me is probably more something that you would be backpacking on. Um, so it would be like backcountry off-road. Um, and bike terrain is generally more like something that you would be motorcycle terrain on, which would be oh, fair roads. enough. Yeah, I kind of likened it to saying like bike touring is kind of like somebody doing a, a bike, a backpacking trip around the world, you know, like you're going to go into the sites and you're seeing the major things. And then bike packing was to me is more like th- through hiking, you know, like you're kind of really off the grid and who knows. Sure. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So bike pack racing, you said kind of came about and in terms of the fact that you've really got limited time, kind of weekends, long weekends, mm-hmm. small holidays. Uh, what do you love most about this sport? You know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of things that I like about it and a lot of reasons why I do it. You know, the obvious things are like, you know, phys- testing yourself physically, testing your endurance, like stuff that everyone kind of identifies with, seeing seeing the world. But um, I think the the thing that, now that I've done a few, the thing that I really, really enjoy is the, like the psychological component of it mm-hmm. and like getting in into a totally different state of mind or a state of being, um, for like, for that duration that you're in the race. Um, I think you just, you start to think differently. You really start to dive into the like fight or flight mode. Mm-hmm. Um, and you really like, you become sort of like, um, you're painted, paying attention to your vital signs like more than you would in normal day to day you're really self-obsessed and you're just thinking about yourself like feeding yourself keeping your legs moving mm-hmm. um and i i really enjoy that part of it um just like yeah getting into like getting into your own head and like really thinking about like what you need to do to like maximize your performance and keep on keep keep your legs moving for like almost 400 kilometers a day i know and it's sometimes it's so hard to imagine like people because people don't get it right like i mean you you work in the bike industry so it might be different people might get it more but, like mm-hmm. i'm a teacher and people be like wait what no why would you do that like that doesn't even make sense like you could just drive a car and you're like yeah well anybody could drive a car but i mean i could also be lazier and just get somebody to drive me you know <laughs> so i just kind of choose the hardest way to do it i guess or one of the hardest yeah it's yeah it's and it, like when you look back on it, it's a pretty crazy experience. And um, I think I I recognized this this year after doing the BC Epic. But there was probably about three three days after the race, I would I would wake up in the morning in absolute panic, and my heart would be racing as soon as I woke up. And it was that like fight or flight mode just kicking in. I immediately felt like I needed to be somewhere and, okay. and doing something. Um, there was like something that was like really driving me to like have to have to achieve something Mm -hmm. um but i was on vacation literally oh yeah nothing nothing to do nowhere to be yeah um but it's you you just you turn into this totally different state of mind um that just like that just takes over when you're doing it yeah it's uh it's it's weird right because you kind of which can be a negative thing too like you do hear about people doing these bike pack races and like going into stores and being like maybe a little bit um like cold and and 
you know, standoffish with employees because or because they're, you know, concerned about time and they want to like get their food quickly. Yeah. Um, and they're like, you know, they're, they think of themselves as very important because they're, you know, racing against the clock while they're doing, doing a this. race. So serve me faster. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's kind of like the negative consequence of it. Yeah. So sometimes it's important to kind of like take a step back and think about, you know, the fact that you're still living in like the world with everyone else is going about their day-to-day routine. But that is like, that's a consequence of that, that change of mm-hmm. state of mind where you're really thinking about um, maximizing your, your travel through, through space as quickly as possible. Yeah, interesting. I never really thought of that, that factor. Yeah. And sometimes like when you order food somewhere and it's taking a bit, like, especially in a smaller shop and it's taking time and you actually take a minute to have a conversation it just like grounds you a little bit uh, as opposed to that sense of yeah. panicky rush, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so let's talk about your bike and stuff. Um, I know you, I think last year you were riding a Surly, right? That's right. And yeah, then you changed to Surly Panorama. Karate Monkey. Mm-hmm. And then this year you moved on to Panorama. How do they pronounce mm-hmm. it? Taiga? Yeah, it's a Taiga EXP, I think. Okay. Is what, what, um, uh, what prompted the change? Was it kind of um, just... A sponsor connection or were there multiple reasons behind it um multiple reasons i i, I did have some issues i had some hand issues after mm-hmm. doing the bc epic the first time like just based on like my position and setup um and i was using a jones bar okay. um and then i was like coming from a road background i was really like curious about returning to using drop bars mm-hmm. um i kind of you know, had an inkling that I would probably be more comfortable using a drop bar, even in rougher terrain, just because I am used to that configuration. So uh, I was kind of looking around at drop bar bikes, like it's also cutthroat, the other options that are out there. Yeah. Um, and then I had learned about Panorama um, and, you know, them being a Canadian company. And then they launched the Taiga XP, that's a, that's a drop bar mountain bike. Uh, and then I looked into their story a bit more. Um, and their like company values okay. and how they're they're like part of the one percent for the planet um, uh, and um, uh, like a, a carbon neutral. Yeah, company, there's not too many is, carbon neutral companies. Like, yeah, so they had a really unique story, and I like I loved how their their whole company was like they're dedicated to making backcountry bikes. Like they only make gravel bikes and for riding mm. riding off road. Um, so they have like a real niche. Um, so I actually just ended up getting in touch with Simon, the owner, and just expressing my appreciation for what they've been doing. And like, just, just, you know, kind of said I wanted to be involved in any way I could. Um, And then, yeah, it just kind of the relationship grew from there. And he offered me a great deal on the bike and been like super happy with the performance. It's like such a gorgeous bike. The paint job is amazing. Uh, It's incredibly stable um, and it's, yeah, really fast. Yeah, I mean, uh, like handlebars and stuff are such a tough thing, right? Like, because I remember mm-hmm. talking to Steve O'Shaughnessy and he was like talking about his Jones bars and how much he loves them, but then telling me about how numb his hands were after doing the BC Epic yo-yo for ages. And I'm like, well, if they're that numb, maybe they're not the right handlebar for you. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it's it's so tough It's because you spend money in saddles and handlebars are just huge. Totally, huge yeah. And I think um, I think the Jones bar is a a good option but i think it needs to be set up in a very specific way oh, okay um in order to like maximize the benefit from it my position was probably too aggressive um mm. yeah i don't know i can't speak for steve yeah, and, well, like gosh. how he has it set up but all i know is 
like when I did the BC Epic again this year in the panorama, I had zero hand issues, like um. no numbness at all. Um, and I spent lots of time in like the drops, the tops, the arrow bars, everything. Yeah. So, um, yeah, super comfortable. Yeah, I did the log drivers, waltz, and B, uh, BT700 last year, drop bars, no problems with hands. Now I have my my new you know bike packing bike is a flat bar or and um, I sometimes feel like I'm getting a little bit on the outside of the pinky you know like right on the outside of the hand and it's yeah. getting a little bit of that crampy feeling and so that worries me I have to try to figure things out maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll try that surly oh, what's that new bar that they have um, yeah I think it's the corner bar corner bar put yes. like the yeah you so. put like trigger shifters on it yeah and just. Just to try it, see what happens. Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah and, and also, so one thing I, I found really interesting on your bike. I was kind of looking up, uh, looking at these bikes online, um, is the shifting, right? Because they're using your pretty non-traditional shifter on it, I believe. Yeah. Um, How did that? Yeah, go? people always look at it and they're really intrigued by it, but they they come stock with. I'm gonna mispronounce it, but I think it's called Jevanale shifter, something like that, right? I just I didn't say it. <laughs> It's basically like a old school like style down tube shifter, but it's mounted onto the front of the brake hood. Okay. Um, and it is index shifting, but you can actually also change it to friction shifting oh, okay. if, if you want yeah. to or need to. Um, and I was skeptical about it at first, um, but that's what came stock on the bike. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll try it out. And if, if I don't like it, then I'll just you know switch to something else um but i've been i'm stoked i love it yeah it's it was so easy to set up it's so robust yeah and, um, and i've heard it's very strong like there's not that many parts right so it's yeah nothing's gonna fail on it and if should i have to change a cable in the middle of an event you could change a cable in like two minutes oh, um, sweet. It's, it's so easy um because it just feeds through the top of the shifter um yeah so it's it's a great system. I have like no complaints. Um, I thought that maybe I would switch to like an electronic setup, like a mullet setup with mm. force shifter and uh, GX um, axis uh, rear shifter or derailleur, but I I see no reason to. Yeah, I'm, it's I'm well. super pleased with the system. Um, catches a lot of attention too, and people are ask about it. Yeah. And it's a steel frame, right? So what's the what's the yeah. advantage of steel? I think it tends to be a little bit more flex is that correct yeah it's definitely it's a pretty compliant frame it's very comfortable um and obviously like one of the advantages is just more affordable than building the entire thing out of carbon mm-hmm. um uh, it is a carbon fork it's like it's a really similar fork i think to the fire starter fork that you would find on um i guess also fargo and, okay. and cutthroat um but um yeah the 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 frames are very comfortable um and it's also got a uh um i'm not sure what the term is but it's got like a split in the seat stay so you could actually oh, yeah. uh, put a uh, gates belt drive on okay it. so like if you wanted to roll off then you could throw that in there as well yeah yeah, yeah. and actually the, so the only other person i know in british columbia that has the frame um his, his name's daryl who lives in Kelowna. um he uh he went with that option he has a, a roll off with a belt drive so okay um yeah very 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 different setup than mine and have you tested it the have you tried like tried daryl's bike 
No, 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 no. I would just love to hear how like the two compare, you know, because like, the one thing I heard is like roll offs, great, but if you're like mountain biking and stuff, and then you're trying to, you know, it's it's hard, tiring, lifting the back wheel over obstacles or bumps right. and stuff, or yeah, ditches, yeah, because there'd be a lot more weight in yeah. the rear end. But it's yeah. interesting to see or try. He also um, he he recently added a loaf fork on it. Oh, sweet. So- he basically just went for like the weirdest setup he could yeah <laughs> so, kudos to him what uh what saddle do you use i always ask people just uh, hear i am using it's like the pro stealth that's kind of like a hangover from my road racing days and i don't think it's actually serving me well oh, okay. i've actually had a lot of discomfort and like butt discomfort um racing so i'm i'm thinking about trying to test out a few different different options for next year yeah. what else are you gonna spend money on this winter right <laughs> yeah i know um yeah no I'm, i haven't been happy with any of the saddles that i've used i've used the, the specialized um power saddle too so bo- they're both like um snub snub nose saddles okay um and i do like that shape but i think they're just they're too firm and not padded enough um for uh bike packing and I've been hearing about all these people kind of like switching back to not using chamois. Um, yeah. Like kind of pad, um, which I guess I, I, I makes sense to me, like taking the pad out, you're going to have less bacteria build up. Mm. And so that should make for um, a, like more comfortable ride long-term. But I guess you, you need to ha- make sure your saddle is really, really yeah. comfortable in order to do that. And I know that the saddles I'm using right now are like not going to, yeah. not going to, provide that kind of comfort, i've heard good so. things about the uh the new ergon saddles just kind of hard yeah, to get I, hold of I, right so I, I was actually just looking at trying to order one yesterday but the distributor in canada is completely sold out oh, I see. Of, like, yeah so, i asked at brockton yeah. cycler they said uh next year <laughs> i was like yeah yeah i was like looked at the entire inventory and there's basically there's only a handful and they weren't really um, ones that i was interested in so yeah yeah um how about your packing system i i mean obviously that very significantly on the race you're doing but like maybe talking comparing like 2021 and 2022 and i guess for those that don't know and i i had megan hacking in on the podcast not too too long ago i oh, maybe nine months ten months ago and um yeah so she she kind of took you over there on 2021 you mm-hmm. came second to her and um mm-hmm. how did you change things up or what was your your you know how did you manage your your gear um, um i i I packed a lot of stuff that I ended up using in 2021 because okay. it was so hot. It was 45 degrees every day. So I literally had like a dry bag full of extra clothes that I thought that I might need for sleeping and for being in the Alpine. Um, and it like the temperature never dropped below 25 degrees, even, even at, at night. night. Yeah, so like, I literally had this giant bag of clothes that I didn't even crack open. Um, so I definitely pared down quite a bit, but like from 2021 to 2022, there was a okay. lot of stuff that I, I left, I left behind, um, to try to lighten up a lot. Um, I use a, a wedge bag, so it's not a full frame bag. Mm-hmm. Um, and that way I have like the extra water bottle mount on the frame, um, plus a couple water bottle mounts on the fork. Um, I think it's, I think it's a good thing to bring extra water. Yeah. Um, regardless of where you're racing, like, um yeah just being able to carry as much water as possible um i think frees up time and 
you know, staying hydrated is a good thing. Um, and then, yeah. And then I use a, a, a saddle bag, um, a, like a waterproof saddle bag for clothes and sleep system. Um, and then the, the wedge bag in the frame is mostly just food. Oh yeah. Um, okay. I, I pack quite a bit of food, probably, um, probably more than, um, than most people. Um, I'm celiac. So I like, that's, you know, kind of makes me want to be a little less dependent on like gas station food. Yeah. And for those that don't know, celiac is, I I had a roommate that had celiac and I think if I get this right, that is like a completely like gluten wheat intolerance, right? Yeah. I can't eat gluten. Um, so, and a lot of, a lot of gas station junk food will have, um, wheat in it. Yeah. Um, spices or whatever they call it. (laughs) Yeah, and and I also can't like go to like a bakery and just buy donuts and stuff like that, or right. burgers with like, the buns. Obviously, have wheat in it, so it does kind of limit my options. So I probably bring a little bit more food than most mm-hmm. people. Um, so I, I usually like I'm packed pretty heavy at the start of an event because I'll bring so much food. I'll have like, five pounds of you know bars, and um, I, I bring a lot of gels and, and then a few other snacks. So um, do you switch it up like? How how do you manage that to not get like palate fatigue or do you just get it and you know that you have no choice? Uh, try to rotate it, like rotate between having sweet bars and then uh, potato chips or uh, jerky, um, French fries, uh, and then I you know, will have like nutrition nutritional gels. Um, so I think just like keeping it like rotating through different mm-hmm. things, you're not eating the same thing back to back over and over again helps a lot, um, but palate fatigue is a little kind of inevitable yeah um i found on the log driver's faults i did like that was a big issue because it was actually quite hard to resupply um in that race yeah that's, uh, like, it's got some big gaps yeah and especially that charbot lake all the way to calabogie is just this yeah all right we, um, we'll get there <laughs> or we could talk about it now i don't care calabogie was closed when i got there. oh no <laughs> uh, um so it was actually a uh, Charbot Lake to Renfrew yeah. and then Renfrew to Gracefield. Um, and then even when I got to Gracefield, they like, had... Oh, so when you got to Shawville and everything, they're all, it was probably the wrong time of the day. Shawville would have been it was, a, it was the well. middle of the night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then Gracefield, the Metro in Gracefield is the worst grocery store oh, ever. Terrible. And I couldn't find anything that I could eat or want, you know, you know, was inspired to eat there. Yeah. Um, so I think I ended up just like, eating all the bars that I had on me. Um, and I ate through most of them, um, despite the fact that I, just didn't, I was having such a hard time getting them down, but I managed. I massively screwed up in that sh- um, Charbet Lake to Calabogie. I I left at like 6 a.m. And I saw the gas station wasn't opening till 8, and I was like, well, screw it, I'm just going. And I had some wraps that had like peanut butter and jelly or something, and I had a few things. No, I didn't have much. But then it all started just wanting to come up, like acid reflux. And I had like, what, 10 hours or something of, I was so slow. I was like, <laughs> I don't know how I didn't yeah. just quit. Well, that that whole section from Charbot Lake to Calabogie really caught me off guard. That was like where, you know, reality started to set in um, during the long driver's wall. So I was like, oh man, this is going to be a lot, a lot harder than I anticipated. Yeah, because the train started getting like a, a lot rougher and the hills were uh, a lot a lot um a lot spicier yeah um and i also i guess i i always create this like resupply queue sheet mm-hmm. um and i copy and pasted it from google sheets into excel 
for whatever reason to reformat. And when I did that, I think it screwed up um, some of the, I had like uh, hours of operation for different businesses in it and it changed it from hours of operation into dates. Um, Oh no. So I lost a bunch of the information um, and I, for, for whatever reason, I thought that the store in Calabogie was going to be open till nine. And then I got there and it was open. It closed at eight. Um, there was nothing open in Calabogie, but the redneck, um, the redneck bistro. Yeah. Was, oh, Actually, yeah the redneck yeah. bistro was closed, oh, okay. um, but there was still people dining there. So I, I, I went in and they immediately told me that the kitchen was close. Um, but I was, I had in my mind that I really wanted ginger ale and that's what it's like planning to buy at the store um so i just asked them if i could go to the bar and like drink soda and they were great they were like sure (laughs) come on in (laughs) so i like gulped down a couple pints of canada dry ginger ale at the bar at the redneck bistro um and that's what got me to uh got me to renfrew oh good going uh, yeah, I mean, I, I remember getting to Calabogie and I sat down, I think, at the restaurant across the street from the Redneck Bistro. Or maybe it was that one. Anyways, the one on the western side of the street. And I was just fucked. Like, <laughs> I was, I don't know, I was almost in a coma. And yeah. I was asleep when she delivered my food. She woke, I, I told her, wait, wait, when you bring me a food, if you see me sleeping, wake me up. <laughs> like, that's how bad a shape I was. Uh, but I started I started in Kazabazua and started going north towards Gracefield. That's how I, I didn't start at the start point. And right. uh, and then so she woke me up by 8. And then afterwards, I fell asleep for another half hour. So <laughs> it, was, it was pretty <laughs> just at the table outside on the patio. It was pretty bad. Anyways. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I forget where I was. Um, racing. So 2021. Yeah, you you guys really had to go through hell and high water to to, to finish even uh the bc epic i think i think most yeah. people didn't finish right there's just yeah the attrition 75 percent. i think didn't finish there was about 15 finishers and like 60 or 70 starters that's um, brutal because it's a popular race so it's like you know people are going there yeah with every and it attention. hadn't taken place in 2020 so there was like a, you know a backlog of people of the appetite to participate what kind of kept you uh, going through those three three or so days three plus right just over three i think yeah i did it in three and a half you know it was this was my first event in 2021 the first time i did a bikepacking race and because of the um the pandemic i had you know i had wanted to do it in 2020 and then i had wanted to do other events and everything got canceled and i just had this pent up enthusiasm and desire to do it that honestly like nothing was going to stop me like from short of like a there. heat stroke <laughs> yeah and yeah exactly there was you know no mechanical no like bodily malfunction no heat or hurricane or snowstorm was going to keep me from finishing yeah. that race so when everyone was like chatting beforehand about how brutal the heat was going to be i was kind of just like i just blocked it out yeah let's just thought to myself like well, whatever. It's just it's just heat. We'll just manage it. And I have raced in heat before. I've done some road races okay. in uh, Eastern Oregon where the temperatures have been like in the 40s. And I've always done really well in the heat. My body seems to handle it fine. Okay. So I, I did have a bit of confidence that it wasn't going to hit yeah. me as hard as as it would hit other people. Yeah. Well, I lived in Malaysia for a bunch of years, and it was always 35 degrees there, and like you know, nearly 100 percent humidity, and. I got used to road biking there and it was tough, but like 
coming back to Canada, I just like, wow, okay, this is not, but it's a different heat here. It's still hot. It was, the sun yeah. feels closer. Um, yeah. So the yeah, was- it was intense. Um, I left Grand Forks and there's a, a stretch from Grand Forks to Christina Lake that there's there's no trees there's no uh, there's no coverage at all um and i had, it was around it was in the middle of the afternoon i think i left around two o'clock um and by the time i hit christina lake my garmin was reading 48 holy crap yeah. um and that's where I, I pulled the plug for the day um it was around four o'clock um and then the, the climb from christina lake you go up paulson summit um and it's a 35 kilometer climb oh is it that long that's huge super long yeah it's all like two percent okay it's rail trail um but it's really really long and it's uh, at the beginning it's all west facing um with like granite rock mm-hmm. um so you're just like i would have been just baking in the sun in like 48 49 degree heat completely exposed to the sun so i had to pull the plug and i went and got a, a motel room and then slept for a few hours and then started that climb at I think it was around 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. when after it had cooled off. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. That's that's probably, I mean, that's all you can do, right? Is kind of plan mm-hmm. your tactics to work around the heat. But I mean, you're you're going to spend a vast majority of the day riding in the heat, anyways. But try to avoid yeah. the hottest parts. And Megan was ahead, so she had reached that point earlier in the day, like before noon. Uh, so so the, she was the able. Heat to... Probably hadn't risen that much. So, you know, she was like in a good position. She had timed things really well to kind of be in places where she wasn't impacted as heavily yeah she's a machine isn't she before continuing on with the show i'd like to thank panorama cycles for sponsoring this podcast panorama cycles is a bicycle manufacturer in quebec canada dedicated to backcountry cyclists that prefer gravel snow and off-road trails they believe cycling is a catalyst for adventures of all sizes and that there's no need to travel across the world or to be a seasoned athlete to live epic outdoor adventures over the past year, I've been riding the Chick Shocks Fat Bike, the Catadan Gravel Bike, and the Taiga Mountain Bike. From everyday rides, bikepacking trips, and a multitude of races and events, these bikes have put a huge smile on my face every step of the way, while also getting me on the podium on the Wendigo Ultra Fat Bike Race and helped me set an FKT on the Canadian Shield 400. In partnering up with the Bike Pack Adventures podcast, Panorama Cycles also wants to give back to the cycling community, particularly you, the listeners of the podcast. By using the promo code BPA10 when purchasing a new bike from PanoramaCycles.com, you'll save 10%. For more information on their environmental commitments or to check out their bikes, head to PanoramaCycles.com. Now back to the show. Yeah, brilliant rider. Like, so determined. Um, I don't know how many kilometers she's racked up this year. but Oh, it's, it's crazy. Insane. Yeah, we've chatted yeah. a few times or just, you know, messaging and stuff. And it's like, she's been everywhere. <laughs> Totally. And yeah, I was like, I'm so stoked to have had the opportunity to to race against her last year and like, and losing to her. And then like, you know, looking back and observing like what she did and like looking at the data from her ride. And um, yeah, I learned a lot from her and yeah. And she's, you know, I still count her as a big inspiration um, for like the training that I'm doing now. So, and um, yeah. So how did you approach this year's BC Epic differently. I mean, this was kind of like your, your comeback and go for the gold, right? Yeah. I mean, this year was like, I put all my eggs in the basket, um, in the BC Epic basket. Like I definitely, after last year, um, as soon as I finished, I like knew I was coming back and I was like, I've determined to win. 
Um, so I, I made a lot of changes. Um, I trained way harder. I hadn't, I didn't really train for 2021 all that much. Um, I hadn't, I wasn't really prepared for it partly because of the pandemic and there was a lot of restrictions leading into it. So it wasn't even clear the event was going to happen until about a month out. So I wasn't really prepared for it mentally and physically. So coming into 2022, I was like totally different. I, um, I have a coach now. I hired a coach. Okay, um, when help me with my training? Like, did you start that raid as soon as summer was over, or were you kind of like pondering um, for a bit? Or I hunting? basically made the decision at the end of the summer. Yep. I was like, okay, I'm gonna like, you know, get some help to make sure that my training is really efficient and effective. Um, but I didn't actually start the training until October, because yeah, I just you know I know from years past that it's good to kind of take a break at the end of the yeah. summer. Yeah. Um, I've been thinking it's my next my next step is not just for their expertise, but just to also keep me in line and like, you know, on a routine and knowing I got to totally. get that ride in because, man, this nine month old baby threw me for a loop. Like I thought I was going to have so much time to ride because, you know, they don't they sleep all the time. And and my wife's mm-hmm. home and I was home a lot, too. And uh, we had our mother in law here. I was like, I'm set. And then I realized I was almost never getting out on the bike because there's always something yeah. to do, you know. Yeah, I mean, especially when you have a um, a child, there's like a million excuses you can make up to yeah. not exercise, and they're valid excuses. Like you have something that should be a bigger priority. Um, but I think having a coach definitely helped um, help me be more efficient and effective with the time that I was spending on the bike. But yeah. definitely, like accountability was key. Like you know, reporting on what what you did that day. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that helps a lot. Like just having someone that's like created your training plan. And then like, it's, you know, seeing that you've, um, yeah, you've checked all the boxes and you've done everything that they told you to do. It's like, keeps you accountable. Yeah. And especially if you have that conversation, say, well, you know, I, I have the ability to, to just kind of say, okay, screw it. I'm going to watch a Netflix episode and have them call you out on it and be like, Oh, what are you here for? Right. What's your goal? Like, is your goal to, to crush Netflix or, you know, (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Um, so that was a big change. Um, and I like, yeah, it's probably been the biggest contributor to like how this season went for me was being on that training program. Um, so massive kudos to the boring coaching. Um, (laughs) who do you have as a coach? Pardon me? Who's your coach? Um, so it's, they're called the boring coaching. It's like a coaching group. Um, but the, the, um, the principal um, person behind it is uh, Scotty Lashuga. Oh yeah, um, she's pretty well known. Like she's yeah. won the Arkansas High Country overall. She's done the Silk Road Mountain Race a couple times. Um, uh, Stagecoach. Um, she's done a bunch of like major events. So mm-hmm. it's her and then her her partner um, Ernie Lashuga. Okay. Um, and then they also have uh, an assistant coach Brent. Um, so it's actually, it's kind of nice cause it's like a, it's like a team of coaches mm-hmm. and, um, you know, sometimes I talk to a couple of them, sometimes I talk to just one of them or like, um, yeah. And everybody has yeah. different experiences too. So you can kind of like pull from totally. multiple sources, right? Yeah. And it's all done virtually cause they live in Arkansas. So it's not like I'm seeing them in person. Um, so it's kind of nice having actually like a few people to connect with, um, so that, that they're quite accessible, um, despite the, uh, the geographical yeah. distance between us yeah and your time zones are probably similar right if not the same two hours oh it's two hours yeah 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 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So I started the coaching thing. Bike change was a big difference. Yes. Um, nutrition um, changes. Um, what else? How do you manage your nutrition on the bike? Like, does, do you have a, a timer and you're just like, time to eat? Or No, I just kind of go by feel. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the thing that I pay attention to most is like balance of carbohydrate to uh, liquids intake. Oh, yeah. I think um, I, I saw an article or something you had posted or maybe it was a Instagram post or something you talked about it recently. And yeah, like, oh. it's like having a – like there's um, – I mean, there's, it's kind of like fundamentals when it comes to sports nutrition, but I think it's 5% is the ratio and that's 5% carbohydrates to milliliters of liquid. Okay. Um, so that basically means like for every liter of like water calories? Or, or, uh, of, or or like liquid that calories. you're drinking, you're calories. having about 50 milligrams of oh, okay. carbohydrates. Gotcha. Um, it's pretty easy like you don't have to overcomplicate it but it basically means like every bottle of water you drink you should be having a bar because bars are generally like 35 40 uh grams uh, right. grams of carbohydrates right. and then the bottle is like 750 800 milliliter so it kind uh, of like okay. works out well that way so <clears throat> that's kind of the thing i pay attention to most because then if you kind of maintain that balance um you should in theory avoid like gut rot and having any like digestive uh, issues. That's good to know. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I, so I recently, that... I recently threw the Garmin and set it to like notify me to drink water and eat food. Cause I thought, man, like this is one of these things I just start to space out and I forget to drink as much. And, but then I started like, I was good. Like it says drink, I drank, you know, but sometimes you're on yeah. a hill and you're like, okay, I'll just make up for it. Which you do. But at nighttime, yeah. I get really annoyed at this computer beeping at me saying, drink. I'm like, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Me alone. Night, night's weird because you're di- like the circadian rhythm. Like you, it, you generally eat less at like, yeah. you, there's less of a desire to want to eat at night. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of like, that's okay. You still need to eat a little bit when you're racing, but you definitely like, I consume way less at yeah. night. Um, but I think after a while, like if you've trained, your stomach to eat a lot and digest things quickly. Um, you can also like, you can go into a bit of a hole and fill it back up again. Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've definitely noticed that where I've like, like started to get hunger pains and I've been able to like replace those calories um, with enough, like enough time to spare that I wasn't going to bonk. Okay. So yeah, just kind of like a little methodical increase in intake and, kind of let things yeah maybe not yeah. get on the arrow bar so you're giving it a more space to digest or whatever yeah and i think that's i think that sort of thing may, might come with experience like yeah. i think some people like might not be able to walk that fine line as as easily yeah, um but i yeah after a while like i can kind of like run on empty a little bit and still like do okay um yeah so i guess this year a lot more than 15 people finished right uh yeah i'm trying to think how many people finished this year actually i think there was fewer starters this oh, year it's quite i mean yeah because it's a year after the startup again after covid right yeah so, there is that and then i think the fires 2022 maybe. there was like there was really a high snowpack oh yeah that's and that scared a lot of people off um there was um there was still snow and gray creek pass um and i think a lot of people just didn't want to deal with that 
um you know like you probably saw all the photos and stories from the tour, tour divide. divide yeah nuts um so obviously like those those racers were dealing with that for like multiple days um until they got further south um but yes we just had one pass that had snow on it but i think that was enough for like a lot of people who are maybe just like kind of on the fence about doing the event or just like maybe it was their first race they're like ah hell no i don't want to like and how bad was it to deal with it wasn't that bad at all no um no i think uh i think going going over great creek pass we counted it was like about 15 or 20 minutes of pushing uphill in snow and then that was on the west side right which gets more sun then on the east side we had about an hour of walking downhill in snow couldn't ride it huh no we tried no. everything okay. like we uh, we tried riding it and then we like tried to get it into the creek next to the road that had like the water had you know washed the snow away we tried riding that you should have packed yeah. a crazy carpet yeah i know right <laughs> I mean, if you just um, carry it and throw it out later, it'd be legit. You're allowed, I think. <laughs> yeah, I know. We were like, it was long enough that we were tr- like desperately trying like every solution to make yeah. it faster, but nothing <laughs> really worked. <laughs> you just have to, you just have to walk it. Yeah. Yeah. Talk us through the event then. Um, I know there's a, like I've, man, I wanted to be out in BC this year and then fuel prices went through the roof and that kind of just yeah. changed all our plans. Cause we we're like, damn, like this trip would cost a fortune in gas and um i wanted to you know do the ar 700 maybe parts of the bc epic i would have been after july already so um but i know there's like there's a ferry crossing there's gray creek pass Mm -hmm. like tell us talk us through the route because i I honestly don't know that well yeah well the majority of it is rail trail okay i would guess like 70 percent of it is rail trail basically until you get to nelson which is 700 kilometers you're uh, mostly on rail trail the entire time so decommissioned railway um it starts with the kettle valley railway um but unfortunately with the the um flooding um the like really horrific flooding that bc had in Mm -hmm. november last year a part of the um kettle valley railway which is also like trans canada trail um was destroyed by the floods okay um that was around around princeton um so Leonard, the like the route master, um, came up with a pretty awesome alternate. Um, mm-hmm. It was actually beautiful. It was like uh, it was all gravel road um, that kind of joined Merritt um, to Princeton and, and skipped that portion of the trail. Oh, okay. Um, but it was it was like I actually think that the the alternate, like the ride around that he came up with, was actually better than the trail itself. Oh so, yeah. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, like that's going to probably be the status quo going forward because that trail is not going to get rebuilt anytime soon, unfortunately. No, because unfortunately, um, like a rail bed too, it's such an amount of work has gone into build that bed, you know, decades yeah, and, and it, decades it really ago. That... Because they built the railway a hundred years ago. Yeah. So there's not really much of a, there's, yeah, there's no motivation to rebuild it because yeah. it's only used recreationally now. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there's no, like, you know, the government's not going to be that keen to, to to rebuild it um so but, but yeah fortunately the um the reroute is awesome um, it's a worthy reroute it's gorgeous oh, um and that brings you into princeton and then you rejoin the kettle valley railway and then yeah so for from princeton all the way um through penticton grand forks um castlegar uh trail and then all the way into nelson you're on railway oh wow it's um, a lot of time Apart from like a couple of sections here yes. and there, 
Um, but yeah, it's, and it goes through a bunch of different climates. Um, you go through like the Naramata bench, uh, which is, uh, the, the winery district in BC. Oh, okay. Um, and then you head into Myra Bellevue, um, or the Myra Canyon, I guess it's called, um, which is where they have like all the historical trestles. There's about 20 or so, um, wooden trestles, um, that are part of the railway. Um, Sweet. and they like, they're super high, like they're, you know, hundreds of hundreds of meters above the ground um they get across all the canyons um yeah and the and then yeah then you go through a bunch of like you know old old towns that kind of only really existed because of the railway mm-hmm. um and uh yeah so the the route's phenomenal and it's super approachable um because it is all rail grade it's like a lot of people ride it with their children and mm. um it's not something that requires a whole lot of athleticism. Yeah, I've I've heard that for for the most part, it could be ridden with a gravel bike. Like you could race it. I yeah. think actually, I think the FKT was done on a gravel bike, right? Recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I definitely, I think like it's more com- you, there's more comfortable ways to do it, but yeah, definitely. you could do it on a gravel bike. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. Um, how uh, how's the? F- I guess because it goes through all these towns food and water supplies easy or yeah it is quite easy um yeah you you're generally like every you know 80 to 100 kilometers you're probably crossing through a town okay so you're not like you're not, you're not... at the very least oh, okay um, yeah i think the biggest gap is going to be between penticton and rock creek um it's probably about 160 kilometers, okay. um, if I remember correctly. Um, maybe 200 kilometers. Um, that's the biggest gap. Okay. Um, without without resupply. And at what point is the ferry? That's at 700 kilometers. Oh, okay. Let's wait. Oh, so it's the end of the rail trail, basically, right? Yeah, yeah. It's outside of Nelson. Um, yeah. So that's kind of like that's sort of a funny pinch point in the event. Um, that yeah it makes it really dynamic. So we we basically like there is a kind of a front group of three of us in the race um that were relatively close to each other um and then we all ended up like rejoining at the ferry so it's kind of funny because it's like you're trying to gain time on each other and then all of a sudden you're there together yeah yeah only to be like back at square one at the ferry and uh i had been in the lead um and so i was the first person to get to the ferry and i kept on like asking myself if maybe i should slow down um because I knew that I was going to just get to the ferry and they're going to catch up to me. But I, I, I found my pace to be kind of like, I was comfortable. I was happy with the speed that I was going. So I knew that if I got to the ferry earlier, then it just meant that I could get like eat and get comfortable get in my bivy and sleep longer mm-hmm. and get more rest, um, which would like hopefully pay off in, in the end. Um, so I think I got to the ferry a couple hours before um, Andy um and the other guy um whose name is escaping me right now um but yeah i got there uh, a little bit earlier um so we were yeah i was able to get a bit more rest um and then yeah and then you wait until the ferry the next morning um and then you start up again um, and you're like all right guys we'll game on <laughs> yeah yeah and it's kind of funny because it's like you know you have this like period of camaraderie you wake up share coffee with each other ride the boat across with each other and then like then you're racing again <laughs> yeah that's wild and um yeah. those last 300 kilometers then are mostly gravel road i guess yeah uh, and single track okay um so there's a you go over great creek pass which is 
I actually don't even know why Great Creek Road exists, um, <laughs> but it's like the. It, I think it's the highest passable in Canada, pass. right? Yeah, it's the highest like drivable pass in Canada. Right. So it's about eighteen hundred meters. Um. So you do that, and then it goes into a bunch of other Forest Service roads. Um. And then there's actually a really nice section of paved um, uh, rail trail again between Kimberley and Cranbrook, um, which is like when it comes, it's a nice welcome respite yeah, from no being doubt. on gravel. Um, so it's a good time to rest. And then between Cranbrook uh, or after Cranbrook, you do about 40 or 50 kilometers of single track, like the most beautiful. Mm. Um, smooth, flowy single track ever. Um, uh, so that's, that's nice because really it's like I love single track, but like sometimes if it's towards the end too and it's really rough, you're just feeling beat and you're tired. But if it's smooth, yeah, it's not it's rough like, at all. There's like not a not a root or a rock on it. Oh, it's sweet. just like flowy single track. It's super fun. Um, it's called the Chief Isadora Trail. Okay, uh, just just east of Cranbrook. Um, so you do that and then. Uh, then as you approach uh fernie the last like 80 kilometers um actually get quite rough um and then there's a there's a section you go through that's like has some hike a bike um and it's pretty rowdy um just outside of fernie about 40 or 50 kilometers outside of fernie okay Uh, and there's actually like funny enough there's actually a way smoother and more enjoyable route to get into fernie um but again leonard is like and like most you know race directors for these things they kind of like to end it with a bang like they don't want uh-huh. to just like roll in easy so the route that you take in the fernie is a bit um a bit of a, a gut punch at the end of the uh, the end of the race nice nice and yeah. um oh i was thinking about something i was gonna ask you so other than i, I guess the ferry you got a fair amount of sleep that night you, you kind of got lucky there that you got there well ahead of uh your you know the deadline um did you get much else sleep wise or no, I just I just slept at the ferry. Um, oh, that was it, huh? Yeah, that was it. I so I that was seven hundred kilometers, forty two hours of pretty much nonstop biking, apart from a few like rest stops to eat. Um, so I, I rode through the first night um, with no sleep, and then oh, wow. uh, yeah, then when I got to the ferry, I rode about one in the morning, and I got five hours. Um, and but even that was like it wasn't even five hours of sleep it was five hours of rolling around on the ground yeah exactly trying to sleep yeah because i wasn't i wasn't all that comfortable um yeah so that that was it for sleep all right so how was your recovery process because that's you know what when wait um bc epic does that start on the 20th or something it was right around there right it was towards the second half of december mm. of june yeah a little bit later i think it was the 20th 4th or 25th 24th 25th okay so yeah by the time you race it and stuff so you got about a month just under two months before the you came to ontario for the log drivers waltz um how was the recovery how long did it take you to get back on the bike and start putting actually like efforts in and um as far as like like physio physiologically i've i've recovered quite quickly i was riding later in the week i did like some spins with my wife and son when we were in Fernie and, and Nelson vacationing um, the week after <clears throat> after the event. Um, yeah, and then when I got back, I was like, I just kind of jumped back into training pretty quickly. Um, I, I sort of bounced back um, pretty quickly, apart from the sleep. Like, I found right. the sleep deprivation kind of wrecked me. There was a, like about a week to 10 days of 
every day or sort of around two o'clock, three o'clock in the afternoon, I would just get really sleepy and just have this like urge to go back, go to sleep. No matter where um, or not, you're just like, that's I need just from the sleep deprivation. It's, it's sort of inevitable. Yeah. Um, that's, that's the harder part is recovering from the, the lack of sleep. Okay. And, and was the initial plan to come to Ontario for the log driver's waltz or was that kind of uh, no, just no, later on? Initially thought? at the start of the, or earlier in the spring, my plan was to do the AR 700. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I'd, like signed up for it or done the expression of interest for it. Um, and that's what I intended on doing, but we have family in Ottawa. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, now that the pandemic was sort of like, you know, like restrictions were easing mm-hmm. and it seems like it was a little safer to travel. Um, uh, my wife really wanted to head back to Ottawa to spend time with family and, um, with, with her toddler with Jules. Um, so, um, yeah. And I, we've, figured august was a good time to travel so yeah. we decided to um to book that instead um and i had heard about the log driver's waltz previously and kind of like had in the back of my mind that i thought that there was like an event happening around there so i of course i researched it and found out that it was happening while we were there so oh, it's it was perfect like, perfect um so was like, yeah um you know talked to, to my wife about it and said like you know if we're we're going to ottawa like can i can i bring my bike please <laughs> yeah yeah and um yeah, and she knows how much it means to yeah. me and like I, I did a lot of cycling when I was in Ottawa so like being able to go back and experience the region in that way is like pretty important to me yeah. and um, so uh, yeah so. how do the um, as somebody who lives out west how do the mountains of the west compare to the non-stop rolling hills of Ontario and Quebec I know well, I know I was going <laughs> to say like Steve once again when we were talking he said man like I kind of just prefer crushing a big climb, get it done with. Yeah. But like Ontario, you're just up and down and you see the next hill coming already and it's just like soul, yeah. sucks the life out of your soul or something. Uh, yeah, that's that's a great way of putting it. <laughs> um, it's funny, like I had, I talked to Jen and Eric, um, Jen Adams and Eric um, Betteridge? Betteridge, yeah. Betteridge. Um, I talked to them quite a bit after the event. Um and I, I totally underestimated how hard okay. the large driver's waltz would be um, because definitely like the way that I had trained in preparation for BC Epic and the, the terrain that I'm used to riding, it really lends itself to like just getting into a gear and a pace that you're comfortable with. Oh, okay. And, so you can like, like, once you get into it, then you just yeah. maintain it. Right? You know, you're riding zone two yeah. and like you're not exerting yourself that much. Like when you're going up that 35 kilometer climb up Paulson Summit, like you're in a comfortable cadence, a comfortable pace, right. and you get to the top, and you're not really, like, you're not in a hole. You're like, you get to the top, and you're like, fine, because you've you, you've planned it to, um, you know, you're like you've paced yourself accordingly. But Ontario and Quebec is totally different. Like you're just you're hitting those climbs as hard as you can because they're so steep that there's you you have no other option. You're just like every time you're burning the match. Yeah. Um, and they're never super long either. So it's like, you're like, oh, no. well, I'm just going to get up this. And yeah. And, you know, and like, there's not really a rhythm to them either. Like, it's not like you're like going over the top of one, accelerating and carrying speed into the next one. They're very like um, stochastic and how they come. So, like, a lot of the times you're like cresting a hill and just barely getting back up to speed again and then yeah. you're going right up into another one um 
So I was like, I severely underestimated how difficult that would be and how physically tiring it would be. Um, so I slept both nights on the log driver's vault and it okay. wasn't because I was sleepy. It was just because I was so physically drained. You just needed um, some. I could just feel myself getting slower and slower and slower. <clears throat> and I could, I knew that it wasn't going to improve. Yeah. Like it wasn't something. That how I much did you sleep? How long? Uh, I slept for one hour in Shawville. Mm-hmm. Uh, or an hour and 20 minutes maybe in Shawville. Just by the, the rail church. trail in there? Or? Oh, by the church. Next to the church. Yeah. There's a big church on the main street. Yeah. That had this like. Well. Had some like security lights on it, but it created sort of a shadow in an alcove in a corner, um, and it, uh, you couldn't see into that corner from the street. Mm. But if you're in that corner, you could see the street. So I was like, "Oh, that seems like a perfect spot because oh. I could like, kind of hide in there, but I could still see the street. So in case like any of the other racers pass, I'd be able to like right. hopefully see them or hear them." That was what I was thinking. That was the, the theory, time. anyways. Huh? <laughs> yeah. So I slept for an hour there and had a great sleep. Um, and then I slept for two hours on the edge of Meech Lake and got no part. Yeah, nice. Beautiful spot. Right by the boat launch kind of thing. Right by four yeah, of the trails. Yeah. 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 That's like, um, I don't know. That's like a 20-minute bike ride from my house. Yeah, right on. Yeah, yeah so I live totally. right in Chelsea. So it's, yeah. It's and again, like I thought, um, you know, when I left Wakefield, my plan was to like kind of like push straight through until I got back to Elmont. I wasn't planning on sleeping on night two the the gatineau park section is it's draining yeah it's, uh... <laughs> it's it it's spicy um but again it was just like all those climbs they just they really zap your legs <laughs> and when like when i was riding that trail through gatineau park um i could tell that i needed like to be a little bit more alert in order to mm-hmm. navigate them safely and was it nighttime um, as well or yeah it was yeah, yeah it was pitch black yeah and come down trail 34 just before where you slept is is also it's got it's it's one of the rougher trails in the Gatineau Park in that area, like for for this route, anyways. It's it's got lots that little bit of rock garden, a little bit of you know roots and mm-hmm. twists, you know. So it's it takes like mental focus, and if you're totally. getting tired, and it's pretty hard. Yeah. So I yeah I you know I made the calculation like that I I could sleep for a little bit and still kind <clears> of <throat> yeah that it would pay dividends and I would still be able to kind of finish and like the the time range that I was planning on finishing in. And what was your plan? Was it like sub 50 or 50 actually? Like when I created my cue sheet, um, my like forecast was 50 and I finished 49, 49. So like 11 minutes short of that. Well, you basically took like, I, the, a year, just about just over a year before that, I put it down at 59 hours and then you just took about 10 hours off that I well somebody else had oh I forget his name in the fall like someone did like 55 October I think it was around October it was quite late in the season when Eric messaged me and goes hey you're you lost your FKT and I was like cool like because I know I can do it faster like you know it's yeah and, and like similar to what you said for 2021 I I didn't really train well like I did some big rides I did a 300k rail trail ride. I did, you know, a 300k of my route that I was developing at the time as well ride and some 150s, 60s, but no intervals, no real nothing, you know? So I just went out and ride and I'm like, if anybody else can do it, I can do it. Yeah. Um, my thoughts coming into this year were that I would be much more focused, possibly have a trainer or whatever, but it just didn't happen. And so yeah, now moving forward, I just got to kind of look at how I'm going to do things. And now, now you've made it 
much more challenging. It's down to 49, 49. And, uh, it's so, definitely yeah. like, it's possible to go faster. Someone will, I like, I'm really yeah, excited to yeah. see someone try. Um, yeah, like you could take, um, if someone was a little bit more conditioned to riding that terrain, mm. um, it was more used to it. Um, maybe someone local like yourself that was more familiar with the area that could probably ride it faster. Um, it's also the first time that I've felt like weight was an issue. Like okay. I'm not a weight weenie and I don't really like care that much about weight, but this, yeah. the grades of those Hills, it was the first time where I was like, oh, yes, like, like all these extra to... granola bars or whatever. Yeah. There. I've thought that I was thinking like, you know, shedding five pounds off your bike, like carbon rims, carbon mm-hmm. bike. <clears throat> yeah. Being lighter like food wise like all that would actually i think probably help quite a bit yeah well that's it i was looking at your bike too online i was like oh it's 26 uh, the stock bike is 26 pounds i'm like that's i mean it's relatively it's light for what it is you know like for for the size of in the you know of the bike um but then once you said like carbon bikes or titanium you're down to around 20 20 pounds 21 pounds or something so um yeah i mean also like I think you said, you you carry a lot more nutrition with you, and so mm-hmm. diving into you know starting in Almont, you got that whole section like you said, Charbot Lake to Renfrew, which is a lot of climbing, and you're loaded down with weight too. So you know, yeah. So it's it's tough. I could see that for sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think moving forward, probably like when I look at uh, the FKT of that route, it's probably marginal gains will will be made. I don't see another five hours off it or something. And yeah, I think unless it's somebody like true. Lachlan Morton comes and you know, or somebody who's a who was a pro racer who's just got that ability to. Yeah, talk. I mean, I mean, like with all of these events, um, you know, it's funny. Like when I was doing the long drivers waltz, I I convinced myself that it was the hardest thing I had ever done. I know it, it was in, to like some degree. I really suffered on it mentally and physically. And I, at the time, was saying like it is way harder than BC Epic. In hindsight, I don't know if that's necessarily true. Okay. It was just that was my first ride of it. And I think that when once you do things a second time, it becomes easier. Uh, that could be true. So if I compare like my first ride on Long Driver's Waltz to my first ride on the BC Epic, I think those are like comparable as far as like difficulty because yeah. you you're going in blind and you don't know the train mm-hmm. i think if i did the log driver's waltz a second time it would probably feel easier um just like having that familiarity but it's, it's a bloody hard route yeah like it's it's so an interesting concept though too because i remember when I, I went to do the butter tart 700 again this year i was actually planning to do the xl and unfortunately i lost my phone the first night i was in the the woods in the single track section mm-hmm. and about 40 minutes later I'm like, I had a quad lock, but maybe I didn't have it mounted right. I'm pretty sure I did. Um, Anyways, phone's gone. And that just kind of killed everything motivation wise. And like, and I was still way so far from the end that, and I knew what was coming up was because we're using your phone for, no, I had my Garmin, but you know, like when you get in some of the tight stuff and the garments are never quite right on your route anyways, it's always like saying, of course, of course. And then you start looking at it and kind of get that panic feeling, especially if you're tired, um, in the end, I decided to pull the plug, but I feel like when you've done a route that's really hard and you know how much it kicked your ass, 
you also the the next time you're riding it, you're like, oh man, like you kind of get flashbacks. It's almost like PTSD of like flashbacks of the pain <laughs> of the last time. So maybe yeah. that's like a mental aspect I got to work on. But uh. <laughs> but you could also like you can use that to your advantage, and that's what happened this year in the BC Epic. Like the um, Damien, the guy that was like riding in second, yeah. and him and I climbed Great Creek Pass together. We talked a lot about because I, I had ridden it before. I had a lot like was mm-hmm. pretty familiar with the route. He wasn't, um, and we talked a lot about like what was coming up uh, in the next you know couple hundred kilometers. Um, and I try not to reveal too much, but that last section going into Fernie is so rough. And just based on the timing, you inevitably hit it at, at nightfall. Okay. Um, yeah, because you all start in the morning off the ferry, right? So yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, and I knew that like being somewhat familiar just by, by having done it once would be a massive advantage. Ah, that's a good point. So I was racing to get to that like the roughest part just before the sunset yeah. so that I could do it with a little bit of light um, and I knew that if I got there first with like any kind of a gap as soon as it got dark there's no way anyone could make up time in that uh, so it was like <clears throat> that section is brutal and yeah. like I would probably never choose to ride it for fun but like having that familiarity with it um, was something that I used to my tactical advantage yeah. and it's something that like you could yeah, to, that's to a, a greater degree than anyone else. That's you true. Trail side. Yeah, I was on a, I was on a section of the Bruce Trail up there, and the, it was so rough. And I knew one guy who was ahead of us um, was on a gravel bike with no sleep kit or anything, but he he was gonna gun through and do the whole ride with no sleep. But I was just like laughing to myself. I'm like, oh my god, he rode this with a gravel bike. He's gonna be so tired and sore. Like, yeah, a few hundred kilometers from now, like there's. You know, so like in my mind, I'm like, yes, because <laughs> yeah, I know yeah. what's coming up and I know how hard it is. And I'm like, I did it on a gravel bike. I know it beats you to hell. So totally. Uh, yeah. You also know, like the resupply is a little bit more intimately, That's, you know, like what places to go to, what are going to be fast. Well, it's I had my like... POI list on my phone as well. So that was one thing right. that really crushed oh, me. Okay. And it was like, you know, Shoot. so I'm like, yeah. oh, like, because I had it actually, I, I figured out a nice little clever thing that if I save it as my background for my um, lock screen. Oh, I nice. could just like unlock the screen and I would see my POI list and I could be like, okay, there's kilometer 400. There's yeah. this place, you know, um, oh, yeah, I didn't good, have, good idea. I didn't have all the details of like open and close times, but I guess I, you know, if I had a little Excel yeah, that you yeah. did, I could have that as a backup as well. Yeah. Um, but then when I lost it, I was just like, I was crushed heart and soul. Oh, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> I went in a bad head place and, but it's okay. Well, and it's also like, Phones are expensive. Oh, <laughs> you're like, uh, and I you just know. paid it off like five months before, not even, you know, like, cause I, <laughs> yeah. um, so tell me like, what's, uh, what's the, the game plan moving into the off season? How's, uh, what's, what are, how are things shaping up for next year? Any big plans or, um, yeah, since the log drivers waltz, I haven't been riding much. Um, I'm just like, you know, taking some, um, Me time pur- purposeful time off. Yeah. Um, just kind of chilling, doing some social gravel rides with with friends um doing a bit of mountain biking um yeah trying to hit the trails in squamish a bit more um around squamish and whistler and doing some routes that i I wanted to do it's funny like i kind of underestimated how much this season was gonna like take up a lot of time yeah like having an event i did a race in may then one in june then one in august so what's the one in may you did that was the 24 hour or the 400 buckshot buckshot which is also run by leonard that does the bc epic yeah 
so it was 420 kilometers so it's a short one but it's like a good like prep race yeah for sure perfect but um like i thought that they'd be spread out enough and they were ultimately but you like basically you're like preparing to race you're racing then you're demolished then you're recovering and that was like i just did that all summer yeah next thing you know it's you're like oh it's september (laughs) yeah so i had zero time to do some of like this like side goals that i had to like just do some routes around bc or around my local area like some of the like some of the more epic trails that um you know people travel around the world to ride here yeah i didn't like get to any of that um i didn't really do like any fun rides so i'm trying to just do a bit more of that yeah this fall a couple weekends ago i rode lord of the squirrels which is gonna what's it called alpine lord of the squirrels nice okay it's um it takes you up about up to 1800 meters in the alpine around whistler um and it's like the most like breathtaking picturesque mountain bike ride in the world um and it's amazing it's like half an hour from our house so cool (laughs) um so yeah it's just stuff like that and trying to like soak that up um this fall and and before like i kind of resume like sort of regular training mm-hmm. i think i heard on i think i listened to the uh bike pack racing one and it's you said that uh you ride all year round outside huh i do yeah that's so nice yeah i don't own a trainer um it used to be more of just like i couldn't afford one i didn't have the yeah. room for it um but it's now it's kind of like become my thing <laughs> Um, people know me as like the person that rides all year round, like regardless of the weather. And I just prefer like being out there in the elements yeah, and, yeah. and well, uh, enduring it. So yeah, I've talked to Theo Kelsey a few times, and similar thing. He was just like, "Yeah, man i I can't afford a bike trainer," and so he's just outside on his two point sixes. And I'm like, "Oh, don't you use studded tires?" He's like, "Considered it, but." that might make it too easy and if i make it harder then it's you know more suck is good i'm like true <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> kudos to him because like that's a totally different the climate right beast and yeah doing that in like in toronto or anywhere in out east um like our climate's pretty mild here we yeah. don't normally get a lot of snow but we did last year oh was it bad last year yeah we had a solid month where it was like oh. you know sub-zero lots of snow yeah but that's like really unusual for squamish okay and um yeah and how's uh so any race plans next year are you um uh not tour divide i think you said a few years from now or something i heard you yeah yeah i I really want to do tour divide eventually um it's definitely not gonna be in the cards for next year just with like you know a like julian's age Mm -hmm. and work and finances and stuff um i also like I'm trying to be like pretty like intentful with like preparing for it so that when I do do it, I am like, I will feel like I'm really ready. Yeah. Um, so, uh, next year I want to do a couple of events. Um, I'm not going to pack my summer full of events. Mm-hmm. Um, but the plan right now, the only thing that I've like confirmed that I'm hundred percent going to do is say Arkansas high country race. Ah, nice. But that's not till October. Oh, is it in October? Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. quite late in the season. Um, so I'm going to do that, and then I'd like to do something earlier in the year and then kind of leave the summer wide open for just actually, like, hopefully bike touring. Yeah. Like bike touring, family cool. stuff. Yeah. Like, I don't want to, like, you know, like, shoehorn <laughs> a bunch of events into the summer and then, like, not enjoy it. Yeah. Kind of just want to leave it open to kind of, like, float around and do whatever 
pops up. Nice. And that would be like taking a bunch of time off. I know you, you work at seven mesh currently, right? Or something. Like yeah, that. that's right. Yeah. 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 I mean, I haven't really like mapped it out. I don't know. How are they? Exactly. They, they, they kind of support you throughout the endeavors, I guess as a bicycle related company. Totally. They... Yeah. Like I think everyone that works there is like very genuinely like lives and, and breathes cycling and like adventure. Um, so yeah, I like everyone kind of supports each other. Yeah, and, sweet. Like, they they get it for sure. Nice. So, Anything I missed yeah. that you want to touch on? Oh, let's talk about uh, training with the family. How do you how do you oh, manage yeah. that, man? Like it's. Um, I mean, I'm going on parental leave in a week, so oh, I'll cool. have uh, 15 weeks off. Well, I'll be. I mean, 13 plus Christmas holidays as a teacher. Oh, I'll be back to school January 9th. Cool. So I'm like, you know what? Now's the time. If I'm going to get a trainer, I should get on that and get focused yeah, yeah. on it. Do and, you have uh, anything planned? Are you like going to vacation? Or um, you know, I have travel? a 10-year-old son in Japan and I haven't seen him in ages and things might open up again. So right now it's like it was for the longest time. You could only go to Japan if you were with a tour company following a tour guided schedule. Um, okay. Now they've recently reopened it so that you can go if you've got a flight and hotel and everything package booked. But hopefully by Christmas, it's open to, you know, proper tourism. Uh, so I can cool. get up there and see him. But uh, right on. that'd be yeah, about cool. it. Yeah. I mean, I my wife's been on mat- maternity leave for a while. So we are pretty tight financially. You know, it's uh, yeah. she's going back to work and then I'm going on parental. Some of it's paid 100% as a teacher, but then the majority of it isn't. So, yeah, yeah, we'll be digging that hole again for a few months. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the coaching thing helps a lot because it. Um, it means that my schedule is planned out like somewhat in advance, a couple of weeks in advance. So I'm able to like present that and communicate it to my wife so that we both know what to expect and plan it around each other's um, uh, like things that we're like committed to doing. Um, so that's really important, like just planning and being able to communicate and yeah. talk to each other about like, like what, like we, what are priority things that we need to achieve that week or in the like, upcoming couple of weeks. Um, you know, most of my rides are pretty short, so I squeeze them in at, like, lunch hour, early in the morning, oh, okay. later, in the, later in the evening. Like, I would say 80% of my rides are an hour, an hour and a half. I don't really do a whole lot of long rides. Okay. Um, and then usually if I am planning on, like, doing a big endurance ride, five, six hours or, or more, I'll, I'll plan that quite far in advance. Okay. Um, I'll try to find a window that makes sense and then like, you know, talk to Shelby about it and make sure that like, that, that it makes sense for everyone. Um, uh, so that's like, that's a key part of it. Just communicating and like kudos to her. Cause it, I know she does way more. I know. Than I, do. I had such a guilt, like feeling this summer too. Like, you know, I'd be out riding and you're in a kind of a negative headspace and you're thinking like, Oh man. And here she is at home. And I'm like, out. Yeah. suffering myself but also biking which is great but like how fair is it you know so it's, I know it's it's definitely like it is a lopsided relationship in in that sense um, and I don't really know like, I mean that's you know that's that's just, just got being human give her spa days more, an extent, like, but, <laughs> like trying to support her in every way I can otherwise um, but like a, a big part of my motivation and inspiration for like doing this stuff is like partly my family. Like I, yeah. I'm part of the reason why I do this is because I want to like be able to like have these stories 
and, and be this role model too like yeah things you exactly. can accomplish. be a role model for him um so like that it meant a lot to me that this year that they came to bernie to be at the finish yeah that's amazing bc epic because like i want him to like observe that and even if he doesn't really remember the specifics of it mm-hmm. we like be able to like see how much cycling is a part of my life and like hopefully that'll inspire him to do cycling or whatever other adventures he wants to do when he's when he's older yeah i always say the same thing for jasmine i don't care what kind of biking she likes to doing as long as it's some kind of biking you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> mountain biking could be gravel cyclocross whatever you know you choose yeah. <laughs> but like i know he he picks up on it and like he you know he sees me in bike kit yeah. every day yeah. and he knows that i'm out riding with with friends in the evenings and um he asks questions about it like he's observant and it's like it, cool. i can see it starting to impact his life yeah. in a way and he loves cycling like he has he's starting to make the transition from a run bike to a pedal bike oh sweet and he loves it um and he bikes every single day so it's like it's I, you know it's you got to get him some great. like fancy little uh, you know sp- um, Lycra bike kit for him. You maybe can find some used online or something because they're gonna grow yeah, so totally. fast. But just so he's like, Dad, I look like you, you know. <laughs> I actually just got him a new bike helmet. He just got a new sweet. bike helmet today because he outgrew his other one. I see people so. riding up into the Gatineau Park and they got their kids who are like, you know, maybe ten or twelve years old. I'm like, that is it. That's the dream. Like, just look at that. You know, it's amazing. Totally. Yeah. And so I think that's it's like one. as much as that. Sometimes I, I, I am a bit concerned that like training and doing this stuff does take away from like some family time i am like i'm also like that's part of my motivation for doing it is having a bit of an impact and being a role model for them so i take a bit of like solace in that and i feel like that's a really good place to end it unless you have something i want to add i forgot that we didn't talk about yeah no brilliant beautiful beautiful namaste no (laughs) Uh, (laughs) so where can people find you if they want to follow you and uh check out your adventures uh i guess no i'm I'm not very good at the whole social media thing it's not something i put a lot of energy into but um uh full beans full underscore beans is my instagram handle um so yeah put some stories and some photos on there and try to get some race recaps i've also um uh, have written like race reports and oh, um, okay. waiting for um, some of that stuff to be posted on like the Panorama blog. Um, so oh, nice. see that come up eventually. Um, All right. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll shoot a link over to you and I'm sure you'll post those on your social media or whatever. And people yeah, can brilliant. find those links. Yeah, that'd be awesome. All right. Well, man, thanks so much for your time. It's uh, it's actually great to talk to you and, you know, get a little bit of insight into to your life and, uh, and to your, your cycling adventure and, kind of give me some perspective on you know where i'm going with it as having a, a nine-month-old and what i can do to improve myself so thank you so much and um you don't have to hang up but i will end the recording so i'll say uh bye-bye and keep on pedaling thank you all right i just want to take a minute and thank Corey for you know spending the time talking with me sharing his story and uh, you know particularly aspects that that really resonate with me in terms of, you know, uh, managing training when you have a family and, um, you know, making it as effective and efficient as possible while, while not overdoing it, you know, and being engaged, uh, with the family. So thank you, Corey, for, for sharing your story. I hope you guys enjoyed it and, uh, we'll talk soon. 
I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me to keep going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have comments or questions, you can email me at chris at biketoadventures.com or go to the website biketoadventures.com and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, blog posts, videos, and the Touring Tips page. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you're enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bike tour adventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, helping me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and continue to produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling.